Thank you for listening to this talk produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. So welcome to the Art Gallery of South Australia. My name is Russell Kelty, the acting curator of Asian art here at the Art Gallery of South Australia. And today we're sitting in a vast emporium which looks at the kind of style, movement of trends and motifs around the world through a variety of media such as porcelain, ceramics, lacquer, sculpture, silk, uh, during the 16th to 19th century. And this talk obviously is not only part of uh, the gallery's larger lunchtime talk series, but also the Oz Asia Festival, which many of you may have seen, which started last week to great aplomb. Uh, there's a big dragon on the bridge out over the Torrens, which looks fantastic, so go see it at night. Uh, and this is just one of two talks, I believe, the other one by uh, Lee Robb, which will happen in True Self up in Gallery 17 in a couple weeks' time, so make sure you check that out as well. Today we're going to be talking about um, this quite large and spectacular uh, Palumpur, an Indian textile created in the 18th century on the southeast coast of India, the Coromandel Coast. And it is not only spectacularly beautiful, but it represents a kind of confluence of motifs and international style during the 18th century. And one of the most common motifs that would have been seen around textiles created in India for the world, uh, called the tree of life motif, or the universal tree, or the sacred tree. There's many different terms, and I believe in the 70s, although I was yet to be born, that the tree of life was kind of a big symbolic motif that everybody talked about. There was lots of scholarship on the tree of life, and recently, you know, scholarship has advanced quite quite a lot, particularly in Asian works of art, and the Tree of Life can be placed locally, particularly in Indonesia, where this textile was created specifically for. And I want to make that point right off the bat, is that this room really is divided into two halves. On one side, you have the great uh, ceramic commodity of the 16th to 19th century, Chinese porcelain, which inspired a raft of imitation in Europe, East Asia, and beyond. And then on the other side, you have the other great commodity of this time, which would have, were, of course, Indian textiles. And like porcelain, Indian textiles were really, for hundreds, if not thousands of years, the premier kind of textile woven material that was sent around the world and made specifically for different places in the world. It's quite an amazing thing, actually, when I think about it. I often reflect on it. When I was putting together the show, and also just generally, I reflect on this stuff because that's my job. But it's quite amazing in the 18th century that Indian artists based in Southeast India were creating you know, designs and motifs specifically to suit European customers, Southeast Asian customers for this great trade in spices and bullion and other things. And just a reminder, I'm often kind of separated from my homeland of America, but even George Washington and his wife Martha had Tree of Life motifs in their Mount Vernon estate in Washington back in the 1730s. So it gives you a sense of this amazing cultural global community that had been created by Europeans traveling, you know, for the first time, entering into the Indian Ocean, taking part in this great wealth of trade which had existed probably 500 years prior to their arrival. And what was on offer for the rest of the world were these amazing selection of textiles created by Indian artists who could create the most vivid colors in the world, the most steadfast and vivid colors, particularly red and blue. So red was made from matter, the root of matter, and blue obviously from indigo. And when they couldn't create those colors, they combined particularly the blue, 
with yellow to create the greens that you would see on this particular textile. Before we dip into this textile, I just want to share a bit of an anecdote with you since we are talking about the tree of life and since it seems particularly topical given our current you know, ecological circumstances and everything that's going to be happening in the future with you know, carbon setting goals and all of this. And wherever you stand is fine. We're, we come here to look and to talk about art, but it's interesting that the tree of life is being discussed in this context. My wife and I took a trip to Sarawak uh, in Borneo in 2010, which I'm not sure if some of you have been to, a small place called Kuchin, which is a transliteration either of uh, Kat or Cochin, uh, a port in India which they were trading pepper with uh, for quite some time. And Kuchin, if you've ever been to Borneo, or Kuchin in particular, is an amazingly dense, rainforest, humid, beautiful place with wandering slow rivers. The Sarawak River runs through Kuchin and just these beautiful trees kind of by the side of the river. And then if you go out a further afield, you can see orangutans swinging in trees and all manner of flora and fauna. It really is quite beautiful. And my wife and I, after a long day of trekking and moving around the city, were quite tired and looking for some respite. And so we wandered into a movie theater. And what was playing, but of course, Avatar about a decade ago, this fantastic movie about these kind of uh, beings that inhabited this world. And what was at the center of their world? But the tree of souls, this gigantic tree which connected them to the energy of life as well as to their ancestors and was this kind of dominant force in the middle of their kind of world. And as I walked out of the movie theater, just my eyes wide open from these kind of spectacular uh, effects that uh, they had put on the screen in front of me, I walked into this beautiful, dark, uh, uh, kind of cooling, humid day with these wonderful trees, music, and birds kind of settling in for the night. And I was reminded that in Asia in particular, but throughout the world, trees play a prominent role in belief. Obviously, uh, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, trees are present and they play, they kind of play this, not central, but they're a prominent motif. And obviously, they become a prominent motif in art. Not only trees in Islam, but also in Buddhism, of course. The historical Buddha found enlightenment sitting underneath a Bodhi tree. And so trees are connected with spirituality from ancient times. And they're also connected with royalty, with power, with a connection to the divine. Because obviously, a tree's roots go deep beneath the ground. They have a very sturdy trunk. And then the canopy in pre-modern times, in ancient times, would have been higher than anything else in the world around them. So they have this connection. They're often seen as an axis mundi, a connector between the seen and unseen worlds that people like to believe in. And so we can move back to this beautiful Palampur. And what you're looking at, it would have been created around the 18th century. And you have to remember at the time in the 18th century, the East India Company was a dominant force in India. But in Southeast Asia, in Jakarta, in Java in particular, it was the Dutch East Indies Company. And the Dutch East Indies Company had made their trade really through textiles, Indian textiles, trading Indian textiles for aromatic spices in Indonesia and trading them back to Europe for a, a, ma a quite substantial wealth uh, in bullion, gold, and other profits. And it's often said that uh, you know, the Dutch had great warehouses in uh, Jakarta, which was known as Batavia, uh, the capital of the Dutch East Indies Company. And it was said that every six months, styles would change. 
one time, one six month period, it would be red. And then the next would be blue. And they were constantly trying to adjust the styles and motifs of the cloth that they were selling to the aristocracy of Java. And you have to remember that Java was an exceptionally wealthy place, inhabited by traders on the north coast, the great sultans of the interior, uh, and, and they loved textiles. Textiles for them were not only what would be worn or hung, but would also be an evocation of their aristocracy, their sophistication, their wealth, and so forth. Something like this, what's known as a palumpur, a palangash in, in Hindi or Old Persian, would have been a bed cover, a hanging of some sort. And when you look at it, it's hard to imagine having this in an interior space. It would take up all the, the visual space. If you look around the edge, you can see something that you may notice is derived from European textiles, the garland all the way around the edge. If you move into the center, you can see these beautiful blossoms from these twin trees which seem to be erupting from this, this mountain. And the trees at the end of the trees have a very intriguing looking flower. It's not a chrysanthemum or a native flower to Southeast Asia or in, uh, Indonesia, which this would have been traded to, but it's actually a lotus. And the lotus was probably inspired by Chinese blue and white ceramics. Some of lotuses you can see up back in the, uh, the cabinet behind you. Amidst this swirling profusion of beautiful flowers, in the center is this garland, this circular, almost this, this oculus. And the oculus, has garlands around it, but it also has this, this series of concentric circles. And you may think, what is that? Well, that is probably a reference to what's known as the tuba, or the tree at the center of paradise in kind of Persian thought. And if you have to think of it in a very specific way. If this bed cover was hung over the top of you and you were looking up, you would see these trees on either side, this beautiful symmetrical divided uh, center ground with all these beautiful flowers, and then of course this central oculus. And it's thought that this was meant to be the actual trunk of the tuba tree descending to earth and then all the way to heaven. Well, if you read in the Quran, trees play quite a prominent role in the Quran. And one particular quote from the Quran reads, who has created this ground on which I rest? Who has created this canopy? on which I gaze, referring to the fact that Allah had created both the ground that you're resting on, creates everything in nature and should be respected, particularly trees, but also this amazing canopy over which you're gazing, which you know, references the universe, the cosmos. It's very kind of wonderfully esoteric. There's also other great quotes from the Quran describing this tuba tree. And it describes that it takes 100 years to get from one side to the other. You can never actually ride outside of its shade. It is so wide and so great. Uh, another is that the fruit that can be harvested from it are so, so huge they could feed a family for months. So the tuba tree at the center of this paradise is quite spectacular. Quite spectacular indeed. It's important to remember when you're looking at this that the tuba tree, Islam, and Arab beliefs in paradise had entered India via the Mughals, and obviously the repertoire of textiles that were sent to Indonesia, because at that time Indonesia was an Islamic, Islamicized state from the 16th to 19th century. And so these would have been welcome, interesting motifs for sultanates and so forth in Indonesia. Now what's fascinating about this motif is, 
These motifs are very much mirrored in Dutch tree of life panels like this, which you can see throughout American collections, European collections, and really throughout the world. What distinguishes them is this very symmetrical pattern. And it's important to, to look at this pattern because this not only references the tree of life, it also references old Persian ideas of paradise. And in Persian ideas of paradise, paradise was a walled garden. So you have a walled garden that had at its center a fountain of ever-flowing water, which this could be kind of conceived as a, as a fountain, and segmented into four parts. And so this textile, which ostensibly is supposed to be for decorative, you know, a decorative uh, motif or a decorative use, is actually imbued with this very robust sense of sacred, uh, sacred ideas from Persia as well as Islam. Now, Palumpur, during the 18th century, as I was saying before, this motif, the Tree of Life motif in Palumpur, probably was one of the most recognizable global motifs in the world. I'll just say that again. One of the most recognized global motifs in the world. So, you know, similar to Louis Vuitton or Coco Chanel, people who were, who would, uh, were traveling at this time would have recognized this as an Indian textile, an Indian motif, which would have been traveled throughout the world. Now, this in particular, this textile, as many of the textiles in this room, would have been traded to Southeast Asia, and that's where it would have been found. And often you'll see on the labels that it's a sacred and ceremonial heirloom. And what that means, essentially, is that it would have been highly valued in Southeast Asia, in Java, and probably survived the humid weather by being placed above a fire in a basket where the heat from the fire actually dissipated the humidity so it could actually survive. So these were heirloom textiles passed down from one generation to the next for over 200 years and then, you know, lucky enough to come into the gallery's collection. Now, if you can imagine the wealth that the Dutch made in Indonesia on textiles, and they had hundreds of thousands of pieces in their factory at any one time, myriad styles uh, to be sent to Java and the outer islands as well, they would have had an impact on other media at the time. And so if you look to the left of the Palumpur, you can see this rather beautifully carved, ornate sesako, or backrest for a throne. And if you look closely at it, you can see at the bottom, there is a hillock, kind of a hill or a rise, stepped rise. This beautiful languid tree uh, uh, snaking its way to the top, dipping over, and then this profusion of flowers happening. You can also see this very precise geometry that it's been carved into, similar to the panel itself, the palumpur itself. And one thing I didn't mention was, if you look closely, you can see that this hillock is a very strange and exotic hillock indeed. It has what look like fish scales or snake scales on it. And that is no accident either because it's probably inspired by Chinese wallpaper that was sent to Europe and Persia, or it could have been inspired by Chinese blue and white. You can see fish scale patterns on the Chinese blue and white on the other side of the room. But as I was saying before, this idea of the tree of life wasn't simply a sacred idea. It wasn't simply about the profound nature of nature, but it was also about power. And so this motif put on this sesako, this, this backdrop, 
you can imagine would have been used during particularly auspicious ceremonies. And so whoever was sitting in front of it would have been dwarfed by this gigantic flowering tree of life, these connections to powers. On the other side, each side of the Sasako, you can see these rather curious looking snakes, which are known as Naga. And Naga, in a Hindu Buddhist context, were often regarded as the protectors of this gigantic mountain known as Mount Meru, or Gunungagang in Java. And Java, like the tree of paradise itself, was seen as a connector between the world of the gods and the world of us, of regular people. And so just sitting in front of this would have spoke volumes about the person who was sitting there, would have meant somebody of power, somebody of significance, somebody of substance. And so it's thought that this was created in the 19th century, carved in the 19th century in uh, Lampung, in Sumatra, the northern island, big island of Indonesia. This was meant, was created in India, but sent probably to Java, uh, the interior of Java. And so it's thought that people in Lampung, uh, traders in Lampung, were sent to Banten, which is on the north side of Java, very close in relationship, just a short ferry ride, and that they were inspired by Palumpur as well as uh, Sasako or backrests there and brought them back and started carving them in, in kind of imitation of those uh, as a sign of their, uh, their wealth as well as their cultivation. If you look on either side, you can see an earlier example of uh, Indian textile with this tree of life motif, which is even wilder and more spectacular. It's a bit in rough condition, but I thought it's just so fantastic. And you can imagine in the 17th century, somebody receiving this would have thought the exact same thing. It's really hard for me to describe my amazement when I look closely at these, these works of art and realize that audiences would have thought these things just absolutely fantastical, these amazing combinations of motifs. And the other thing I, I just wanted to point out is that this connection with divinity in Islam and trees, connection with the, the seen and unseen, is really a, comes out of an early Persian connection with Islam, the perfection of the, of the person uh, seen as a tree, kind of a perfect tree representation. And I just wanted to end the talk with a quote by Ibn al-Arabi, a 12th century Sufi mystic, who discussed and talked about trees and the perfection of the soul uh, and a kind of a perfect tree in the garden of, uh, in the garden of paradise. So I'll, I'll start. This is his discourse of the universal tree described as his likeness. I am the universal tree of synthesis and likeness. I have deep roots and my branches are lofty. The hand of the one, meaning Allah, planted me in the garden of eternity, protected from the vicissitudes of time. I have spirit and body. My fruit is gathered with no hand touching it. These fruits contain more sciences and knowledge than sound intellects and subtle hearts can bear. My leaves are raised couches. My fruits are, are not out of reach, not yet forbidden. My center is the desired goal. My branches perpetually draw nigh and come down. Some come down to provide benefit and aid, while some draw nigh gradually to bestow favor. My constitution is like the celestial sphere in roundness, and my branches are homes to the winged spirits. My flowers are like the stars whose course engenders the minerals flowing in their bodies. So with that, 
I'll end and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you.